This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today is February 20th. Uh, markets a little under 5% in year to date. Seeing some of that coming from the tech sector. Uh, Tim, let's kind of just go into a general overview of what's happened this past week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly an understatement to say that the markets have been driven by the tech sector, right? Yeah. Uh, this is NVIDIA week, right? It's like the Catalina wine mixer. Nothing else matters. Yeah. Uh, today's Tuesday. The, the, they'll report tomorrow. Um, you know, who knows? I'm sure the dealers will make money, though, selling volatility uh, with everybody trying to make bets around NVIDIA earnings. You know, look, the last couple of weeks, though, away from NVIDIA, you know, volatility, the, the VIX has picked up just a little bit. Markets are under a little bit of pressure. As you said, the Nasdaq's down about a percent and a half today. Uh, and I think a lot of it is because, you know, immaculate disinflation has come under attack. We've had some inflationary surprises. You know, uh, CPI came in hot and it's intuitive stuff like medical costs and home and auto uh, insurance. The PPI came in hot. Some of those components in PPI will feed into the all important PCE. You got prices paid numbers much higher, much hotter uh, in the New York and Philly Fed manufacturing numbers. Import prices have come up. Uh, used car prices from Mannheim look like they've stopped going down. Uh, you, you got oil at 80 bucks. So there are a lot of factors that, you know, I, I don't know that Larry Summers is going to be right, that the, that the next Fed hike could, the next Fed move could be a hike. I think that's not going to happen. Uh, but our call all along is that it's going to be three cuts or less. That's certainly looking good. And, you know, all the guys arguing that immaculate disinflation was just going to, you know, you could just draw a line on the screen doing technicals on macros, always a bad idea. Like you've stopped going straight down. CPI looks really, really sticky. Uh, and a lot of the components that feed into PCE are starting to look stickier. Guys can argue about how OER should be measured for forever, but it doesn't matter. Overall, base effects matter. Uh, you will get some disinflation on the housing side, though it doesn't look like as much as people thought. And you do have these other inflationary pressures. And look, the fact is you've had meaningful goods deflation. You are having very little uh, services. If you look at core services that the Fed looks at, ex-housing, you know, that printed really hot in the CPI. Wages matter, right? Wages are really tight. David Kelly from JP Morgan had a great essay this morning that wages are going to stay hot and probably too hot for the Fed to be able to, to just uh, cavalierly um, when when financial conditions are still as, as as hot as they are, as easy as they are, I think it would be cavalier for the Fed to start cutting. The Fed has the luxury of looking at this economy and saying, okay, inflation is coming down a little bit. The economy is slowing a little bit, but everything's pretty good. Why don't we leave it alone for now? You know, so and you're, you're actually, your former colleagues at Deutsche Bank, you saw Jim Reed, Head of Global Economics, um, you know, cautioned last week that the U.S. stock market's rival in 2000 and 1929 in terms of being the most concentrated in history. The reason they did this is because Deutsche Bank had several analysts and they found that Magnificent Seven's combined market cap would make it the second largest country stock exchange in the world. In fact, it would be double than that of the Japanese stock market. 
Uh, so that is just uh, massive, right? That is just a wild concentration and it's just jarring. Yeah. Well, you know, I wrote an essay a couple of weeks ago called, uh, or last week called Einhorn's Epiphany. Uh, and it's about this idea that passive flows uh, really drive the largest stock market, the largest stocks. But it's not just market structure. I believe in that market structure phenomenon has distorted the valuations of Apple, of Tesla, of some of the other names. But there is a reality that these companies have become, if not, there's not oligopoly strength, there's actually kind of legal monopoly strength, right? The iPhone is, in the United States at least, is pretty close to a monopoly. Google search is pretty close to a monopoly. Uh, you know, it, it, you go on with that. Amazon Prime, pretty damn close to feeling like a monopoly. So it's not just market structure. It is the fact that, you know, the Federal Trade Commission has basically allowed mergers and acquisitions to happen endlessly. Amazon has bought up year after year, decade after decade has bought up competitors. And we don't do anything about it. So uh, it shouldn't be surprising that you've gotten the market concentration that you've gotten. Eventually, it's a problem. And I think you'll end up maybe breaking up some of these companies because less competition is inflationary, right? I mean, isn't that sort of econ 101 that if you let an industry become non-competitive or even a duopoly, that prices are going to move higher? Like the, 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 the MAG7 earnings keep going up and yet the rest of the stock market keeps being revised down. But they're so damn big that revisions for 2024 20, are now actually up a little bit for next year, despite the fact that if you strip out those seven names, they're actually meaningfully lower and IWM revisions keep moving lower. And just look at what the NFIB says, the small businesses across this country. What is the problem that they have? They got too much inflation, they got weaker demand, and they can't find talent. Like these, this is, these are core issues that are going on in the economy that kind of get obfuscated or lost by the massive growth of those premier names, those names that have become these kind of legalized monopolies. You know, one trend that seems to be interesting, and this is even these tech stocks we're talking about who historically haven't been paying dividends are starting to pay dividends. This comes after years of, um, you know, dividend payout ratios have declined and we're starting to see an uptick in that. I mean, the economists kind of elaborated, you know, that Meta's decision to hand, hand earnings to minority owners received a raucous reception. However, it's just the latest sign that markets are coming to appreciate dividends. Those from the S&P 500 firms rose up to $588 billion last year, up 22% from three years ago. Investors have put $316 billion in dividend-focused exchange funds globally, almost doubling their size over the same period. Yeah. Uh, so what, what what's part of this shift? I mean, there's been several years of talking about how the decline of dividends is a huge problem for um, retirees in particular, but anyone who's looking at blue chip stock appreciations. And now there seems to be over the last couple of years, a complete reversal of this. Yeah. I mean, the rule has always been uh, that if you're a growth company, you don't pay dividends because you want to you want to reinvest your capital to continue to grow your business. But you know, in a slower growth environment, and a lot of these mega cap names don't really have a lot of sustainable top line. Uh, I would argue that Meta doesn't necessarily have sustainable top line, that it's being driven by an ad cycle, and the ad cycle is quite strong, but I use the word cycle. That's not, you know, that's cyclical. 
so I think that companies, as they become more mature, uh, it does become more attractive to pay dividends. Remember, look, a lot of these tech names buy back a ton of stock, but they issue a bunch of stock to senior management and, and employees that they hire and so forth. So the share count doesn't really go down. And I think that uh, if you have a mature company and uh, investors would rather see as much as they like the buybacks, buybacks don't really help if the share count's not falling. So just show me the money in another way and in the form of dividends and in a world of higher interest rates, higher risk-free returns. Uh, I don't believe that all the money in money markets is just going to flow into stocks. It's an alternative. Tina's dead. Uh, I, I think that a dividend makes a lot of make, makes a lot of sense for companies with mature top lines. We've recently seen that freight inflation has gone down. That is in spite of the fact that the Red Sea crisis is still um, more or less present. I mean, obviously, there's been targeted military strikes against the Houthis and a variety of different military um, bases they have, and you know some of their launch capabilities. But at the same time, it is kind of surprising, uh, I mean, that you've seen Europe and the Mediterranean rates have started to decline even at the end of January, um, right. is, you know, is what the revisions well, are showing. You're declining off a spike, right? Yeah. And, and we'll see what happens, uh, you know, this weekend, uh, you had a couple of, uh, you know, successful Houthi strikes uh, on there was a there was a big cargo ship that got knocked out. Um, look, it, it's, it's, it's clear that just sending missiles into the mountains of Yemen isn't going to stop the Houthis, right? They've been, they've been fighting and they've been dealing with missile strikes from Saudi Arabia for more than a decade now, right? Um, and we've been funding uh, the Saudis in doing this to very little effect. So unless you think that there is going to be a NATO-coordinated U.S. ground invasion of Yemen, which looks a lot like the hills of Afghanistan, so it's simply not going to happen. I think this continues. So I, I think you continue to see uh, a problem with shipping rates, uh, and I and I think that it's just a matter of time before this escalates. Yeah, I mean, there doesn't seem there's nothing we can do militarily uh, short of like you mentioned, like stationing troops, which we're we're obviously not going to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I did see something interesting a couple of months ago, but it hasn't come to fruition because of the ongoing conflict in um, Israel and, and in Gaza, which would have been that you could have taken freights to Dubai and from Dubai, you'd take it through trucks through Saudi, Jordan, and then ending up in Haifa to the Mediterranean. Yeah. Now, that that supply right, you know, freight could work, but that's contingent on the Israeli uh, war against Hamas. And the reason the Houthis ostensibly are shooting uh, missiles is because that war is ongoing. So those two things are linked anyways. And you're not going to have the Arab country buy-ins uh, as long as this conflict is continuing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it just continues for a while. Look, we haven't even tried enforcing, right? We haven't even really tried enforcing the oil, um, um, you know, the price caps on uh, Russian oil or, or limiting exports out of Iran. I mean, what happens when we actually try to shut down the the black fleet or what are the the, the dark fleet of, of Russian ships carrying oil uh, to India and being paid full price? Like, I, I just think that um, we have not been very muscular, very assertive on the high seas. 
And I think it's about time that we are. And I think Biden uh, is going to move in that direction. I don't see what choice he's got. No, I mean, and you've also seen an uptick of Somali piracy, which you haven't seen in many years, too. Yep. Um, so, I mean, we talk a lot about China. Uh, however, there seems to be kind of a debate within economists right now on um, how gloomy the economy is. Uh, you know, the Institute of International Finance said Beijing has the capacity to push China's economy towards growth potential. Um, you know, but then you have Krugman, Muhammad El Alrein, the IMF, uh, there's a variety of people saying kind of different things on China right now. And why do you think that is? It seems to me that between real estate, between CapEx and between um, retail, China's numbers just look universally bleak. And let's kind of try and explain the contrarian argument because I feel like we're always on the bear side of China or have been for the last couple of months. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather stay on the buy side, but we've had a bounce, you know, I think people look at it and say, well, maybe they can work their way out of this, right? You kind of, you, you, you deflate the yuan, you continue with capital controls, uh, you pump up industry, uh, you, while you are going to continue to have weakness, you can't put the genie back in the bottle in terms of speculative confidence in real estate. You can offset that by growing uh, your your exports. The problem is, is they've built up this huge capacity to export cars, uh, solar panels, batteries, etc. At a time when the world has discovered protectionism, and the world is going to more and more discover protectionism, the more and more cheap uh, Chinese goods uh, that are uh, truly backed by the government. Uh, you know, hit the shores in, in, in Germany and in the United States. So, look, I, I understand that people believe in, well, they, they have the ability to control the currency, control capital, uh, and a command economy. They should be able to pull this off. But I think that there's no putting the genie back in the bottle in real estate, and I do not think they're going to be able to export their way out of this. So I know that wasn't a great uh, support of the bullish argument, but I, I just don't see it. Well, I mean, but what's interesting is we still think of China as a command economy. It very much is. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at what firms look like, whether they're government mixed or private, it's nearly half are private or mixed in some capacity. And that number has been increasing um, since 2010, really. So, uh, you know, we've talked about special like people have talked about special economic zones and China's, you know, opening to private markets. But Functionally, half the markets now are are, are private or quasi-private, um, and and the, the, the Chinese, the CCP, just doesn't have you know as much clout or power to influence those decisions now. Of course, yeah, I don't know. I I I I, I don't doubt the PBOC's ability uh, yeah. to control everything that the that the bank does, that the central bank that the central bank does, uh, that government-owned uh, entities do, that states do, uh, in terms of trying to manage their debt in an environment where they can't sell uh, real estate in order to manage their finances anymore. So um, I, I, I would take the other side of that 50% and say the reality is that the government controls whatever they want to control, whether it's sovereign-owned entities or it's you know titularly uh, private yeah. companies. Yeah, and just 
part and parcel, I mean, I'm making the argument that more private companies would be a bullish sign typically, right? I don't want to be, uh, yeah. like I'm saying that the, you know, that it's a big issue that the CCP doesn't control everything because that's, I'm trying to make the opposite case there. Yeah. No, yeah. I hear you. But I just, you look at G, you look at what he's done, the way he has taken control, uh, the way he has pushed out anything that even comes close to being a dissident. And it just doesn't ring true to me that there is uh, a growing private capital uh, that is going to, you know, that is that is capitalist and democratic at heart that is going to grow in China anytime soon. No, um, you know, the whole uh, Francis Fukuyama, you know, the end of history seems increasingly like it was a, you know, a false premise. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, is there anything, you know, we might have missed on, Tim, that you'd like to touch base on? Well, you know, we started this talking about it's NVIDIA week, right? That's that's what everything uh, is uh, going to be driven by this week. You know, probably the inflation data will still really matter and uh, earnings will continue to matter, even though we're about 85 percent of the way through earnings season. Uh, but that concentration at the top really is something that is changed the world, right? Changed how we think of um, the economy. Um, it, it all, it, it's, it, it's, it's surprising that it's such a revelation to all of us, that it just kind of happened, that it's been happening for years, but the sort of the, the epiphany for all market observers is that this is just sort of happened, even though Amazon has been building inexorably, as, as Apple, as, as Netflix, and the other, the other members of the Magnificent Seven. No, absolutely. I, I mean, one thing I guess I'd like to mention before we close out is the Israeli GDP numbers came out. Um, we saw a 19% contraction as opposed to the 10% forecasted. Obviously, I mean, the entirety of the Israeli society is more or less a National Guard unit or a uh, reservist, right? Men, women uh, throughout most of their adult life. And it becomes a huge human capital problem, especially in the tech sector, when you had to call 300,000 reservists and you know, there's Intel out of Israel and, you know, all the tech companies have, you know, have obviously seen seen people go to the front lines, which is um, which is devastating for, for for their economy. Yeah. The other the only thing that I have to say on that is, you know, we're going to be interviewing Colonel McCausland at BISA and in talking to him in preparation for that event um, down in Florida in just two weeks from now is, you know, I asked him, so will Israel do direct attacks in Iran or try to expand this war in the north um, and, and really try to take on Hezbollah forcefully? And he talked about some of the some of the facts that you just mentioned, that what's happening already is having an incredible effect on Israeli resources and or is, Israel's ability to grow. Uh, so they are not they do not have unlimited capacity to open new fronts uh, on this war. Uh, they are clearly going into Rafah, Gaza. The war in Gaza is not gonna end anytime soon. Uh, they are not backing down in any way on the expansion of, of settlements in the West Bank. Uh, so all of it will continue, but it doesn't seem like they've got the will or even maybe the capacity to grow to beyond Hezbollah and Gaza uh, and to try to take on uh, Iran directly. Yeah, I mean, not to mention like a Yemeni front or or anything sure. else that evolves. Yeah. 
Sounds good. Well, thanks for your time today, Tim. And for all our listeners and subscribers, uh, thank you as well. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.